Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Devika Girish. And I'm Quentin Krug. We're the editors of Film Comment. The summer and fall festival seasons bring a flurry of buzzy premieres at glamorous locales. Cannes, Venice, New York, Toronto. But as most film critics will attest, some of our best festival experiences are at the smaller venues and events that often fly under the radar. These include regional festivals that cater to local audiences, festivals that spotlight newer filmmakers, and lineups focused on specialized programs. To discuss the role of these festivals and some selections from recent editions, we invited one of Film Comment's most trusted festival correspondents, curator and critic Jordan Kronk. Jordan tells us about some of his favorite small festivals, including Black Canvas, Rhythm, and True False, and discusses the prize winners from the recent edition of FID Marseille, including Outside Noise and Haru Hara-san's Recorder. We also discuss picks from an upcoming archival film festival organized by Arsenal Berlin, and some of Jordan's personal highlights from Locarno. Check out our website for detailed show notes and links. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. We have a very special guest today, one of our favorite correspondents of late, Jordan Kronk who recently sent us a dispatch from Locarno, a digital dispatch. And Cannes. And- yeah, sent a, did a number of incredible interviews from Cannes. And is a generally a globetrotting film critic with his finger on the pulse of the festival scene. And so we thought we'd reach out to Jordan today and invite him to discuss sort of uh, the in-between. You know, you've got your tentpole festivals, Cannes, Venice, TIFF, New York. And then we there's there's some... Some of the most interesting films are shown, we find, at these at smaller festivals, the in-between festivals. So, Jordan, welcome. Do you want to introduce yourself? I know that that was kind of a lengthy introduction for me, but perhaps you want to characterize your, yourself in a different way. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me. Good to be back. My name is Jordan Kronk, film critic uh, and programmer. Um, and yeah, I've been writing for Film Common for a number of years, but getting some uh, festival correspondence lately for you guys, which has been fun. Was at Cannes and then uh, Fid Marseille right after that, which is one festival we're going to talk about today, which is exciting. A smaller festival that is very good, but doesn't get the coverage, obviously, that a Cannes or a Venice, which is looming, will get, I'm sure. So, yeah, it's cool to shine a spotlight on them. Yeah, I mean, w- one thing that we've found is that with our current format, the film comment letter, we we really have limited space. And one thing we really wanted to do with this podcast too was just be able to shine a light on those festivals. Jordan, since you're obviously a programmer yourself in LA and you know you often try to bring films that don't get distribution there and kind of track, you know, how local distribution and exhibition works. I was just curious, you know, when you visit these smaller festivals, these regional festivals, what tends to be your experience, you know, how does it how do they distinguish themselves? from the bigger festivals. And I'm also curious how that may have changed in the last year with just everything being so scrambled in terms of festival exhibition and release schedules. Well, I would say actually in general, I tend to like smaller festivals more than the big ones, at least from just a uh, keeping my sanity uh, standpoint and like a logistical standpoint, because, you know, can and some of these bigger ones are pretty exhausting as, as, you know, good as they are to like see uh, exciting movies by big name directors. Uh, 
they're not the easiest dish to like navigate. So yeah, the smaller ones are much more low key. You can go at your own pace, see what you want. They're generally not, it depends on the festival, but generally they're not working with a lot of like big world premieres. So you're not like fighting to see stuff. Maybe you're catching up with films from bigger festivals that you missed. So yeah, I tend to like them from that, for that standpoint. And yeah, the vibe's always, always good. The context that I've gone to a bunch of them over the years have like been for juries. One of the more recent juries I was on was at a Mexico City festival called Black Canvas, which is a really wonderful, like international festival. Leans more to like the art cinema side of things. This is like a short films jury. So yeah, these tend to like bring you to different cities, obviously, but like just smaller festivals that you probably wouldn't go to or I wouldn't go to because I like you go to the three or four of the biggest ones. You don't necessarily need to go if you're a critic, but you can use the opportunity to discover a lot of a lot of films and and you get like some one-on-one time with a lot of filmmakers who are kind of getting their legs under them and you're like in their formative years so it's kind of cool sometimes to see see some early work by exciting filmmakers i've also been to smaller festivals like the Reykjavik film festival in iceland went there a couple years ago true false is one that i go to a lot it's not like super small probably in comparison to some others it's probably a little more well known but it's definitely a regional festival it's in columbia very uh, documentary Esque festival it specializes in hybrid cinema. I've been going there for eight years or something. So one of my favorites. I have never been to True Falls. I really wanted to go, but I did go to Camden a couple of years ago, which is also a documentary festival in Camden, Maine. And that was like one of my first experiences, I guess, of a more kind of local festival. And what was really great was that the screenings would be packed with locals who otherwise weren't necessarily cinephiles, you know, who identify themselves as cinephiles. And there was this, you know, intricate shuttle system because it's sort of this little, you know, town. And It's a tourist town, right? I mean... It's kind of touristy, yeah. And the theaters were all really far away from each other, some in neighboring towns. And I remember I missed the last shuttle or something and these locals just gave me a ride and the whole time, you know, they just wanted to talk about movies and they were just so excited that I was a film critic. And, you know, they were just like, we wait for this festival every year and we try to go and see everything. And that's how we experience like film culture. A very like misery like setup here. <laughs> yeah, no. They took I, me I... back to their barn. And and wouldn't let me leave until I yeah I was like critiqued this, every film. Am I in Get Out now? That's ever no. been released. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it was wonderful. And also my again, you know, Jordan, you have way more experience at these. But my sense from that festival was also it created a lot more room for conversations around the films because it wasn't there's no sales, there's no none of the market infrastructure. It's really for people to enjoy films. And so there was a lot of like stuff like, you know, panels, there was a pitch contest that the whole, like, it was sold out, the whole town came to view this pitch contest that young documentary filmmakers were pitching to a panel. And that was a really, you know, fun experience to really kind of step back from just like ingesting movies and, you know, thinking about the culture around them a little more. Yeah. Well, one of the interesting things I think maybe to note for some people is like Cannes, for example, is not a public festival, really. Like they're some public is allowed into some screenings, but like they're, it's pretty hard to get into them if you're, you can just go like buy a ticket somewhere. Um, so yeah, that some of the bigger festivals are like really not for the public, which might be hard for some people to like wrap their heads around. But like the smaller festivals are like for the audiences, obviously, and less for critics and things like that. 
So that's always interesting. Something like TIFF obviously is like both. So they're like a good example of a big festival that caters to both audiences and the industry. Actually, the first festival I ever went to was the Newport Beach Film Festival in like the mid to late 2000s. Uh, in Rhode Island or? No, in, uh, oh, in, in Newport Beach, California. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and because I was living in Orange County at the time. So that was all I had. So this is what most people do, you know? I went as like a critic, but I wasn't a critic then. I was, you know, whatever, writing like on a blog. But they don't get coverage. So they were like, oh, you can come as a press. So, I mean, they're not showing like super crazy, uh, difficult art films, but like there's some with some good films. And I went for a few years and then, you know, a few years after that decided I'll start going to Tiff and Cannes. But yeah, that was a, uh, so yeah, they're for us. Yeah, more like public and more like casual cinephiles or people that just don't travel. I mean, people don't just get up and go to Venice <laughs> just to go. So Venice is for the locals. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. <laughs> the, the Venetians. Big, yeah, the big festivals, the audience that, audience that you see at like uh, Berlin or Rotterdam or whatever, those are like people who live there. Mm. So it's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I think the first film festival I ever went to was in Wellington, New Zealand. And oh, really? I just bought tickets. I bought. I what? Saw, uh, I Were saw you a, studying abroad there? Like how? Were I was. You? I was a high school uh. exchange student, <laughs> and I and I went. I saw uh, the the Neil Young, Jim Jarmusch, Neil Young Crazy Horse documentary, and uh, that is my my primary takeaway. That was my uh. big memory. I guess mine was because I went to school in Providence. This French film festival that took place every year at this tiny cinema there called Cable Car. And that was great because that was the first time I saw like outside of school, you know, stuff by Agnes Varda or Chantal Ackerman and a lot of like the kind of stuff you would find in Rendezvous with, with French cinema, mm. for example. I did have a question for you, Jordan. A lot of these festivals have been going virtual or they're contending with the reality of the big festivals going virtual. And in some cases that probably eats into their market, right? Because if right. local attendees can watch these films online, how do they then keep their audience? And I wonder if that's something you also contended with with Acropolis for a little while when virtual cinemas became a thing and people, you know, films were available nationwide in a way that they weren't before. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would compare it to, like trying to show films virtually when those same films are available in somewhere like Lincoln Center or wherever, which is like one of the most, most known in, you know, uh, art house cinemas in the U S you know, so trying to, if someone could get that movie a week before virtually, why would they wait a week to see it through you unless they're like a super diehard. So yeah, that was something that uh, I was interested to see play out at the beginning of the pandemic, but it actually worked out in some people, I mean, a lot of people did wait and it didn't really affect, I don't think all that much or less than I would have thought, I guess. For example, I mean, I can just speak for one film that just comes to mind right now because we were showing it is Days, Siming Leong. I mean, that was available through New York Film Festival last year. I'm sure did did quite well. And now it's out in cinemas. We, we just showed it in LA and it did like really great. So people are still going and seeing it either again or just didn't weren't aware, didn't want to watch something virtually. So, I mean, I think there's audiences for both, obviously. And I think we're, we're seeing it now change with like these kind of hybrid festivals like Locarno was and TIFF will be like that too, where now not every film is going to be available on the platforms. And I think that's because, you know, people, you know, you want to keep certain films to 
you know, keep them for certain audiences at certain times if they, if the rights holders can do that or distributors or whoever is invested in the film. And for filmmakers too, I imagine. And filmmakers too. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens for me. Like I was able to go to many virtual festivals last year that I would never had never gone to like uh, Doc Lisboa. I, I watched a bunch of their program online and Marta Plata. These are festivals I would love to go to uh, eventually um, Vienna. So like, it was cool to kind of sample programs that you don't ever get to go to. How have you found the experience of, you know, watching the films? Do you feel, do you, and then, you know, as opposed to the more communal experience of the in-person festival where you're able to discuss things with critics, you run into people, their things become. I hate doing that. So it's okay for me. <laughs> the worst thing is getting asked what you think of a movie right after. Yeah. I'm also not someone who like really a whole, like theatrical cinema, cinema going isn't like, completely sacred to right. me. I love if I have a choice, I will choose a cinema over watching something mm. digitally or virtually. But if I can't, I don't I think movies can and will play just as well. The thing people like kind of forget also is that critics and programmers are so used to watching things online, even in normal times, you know, I mean, exactly. Not much really like I just do more watching at home right. is basically <laughs> what changed. I still did a plenty of it, but now it's more like watching four or five movies a day at home is different than is that, that's the change. I guess more viewing at home, but yeah, it's not like a super big change. And I mean, people don't realize either. I don't think like most programmers like at festivals are watching the movies on links. Right. Like, right. You know, some you go to big festivals, like, Oh, I haven't even, I haven't seen that movie on in the theater yet. Like maybe I'll watch it or go in and peek in. So it depends. I mean, I, I if someone will only see a movie in the cinema, then I think they should. And that's, you know, so I think people should support uh, their cinemas. But yeah, I think uh, there's case to be well, made for both. Yeah. Well, my good man, I say out with no. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, that that I'm not. Yeah, I I think uh, I think we both we both agree with that. It also depends where you live. I mean, if you're a New Yorker, LA, you have the chance to see way more stuff in a cinema, and you can do that. But if you live in the Midwest or in another country or something that doesn't have uh, access to see certain movies in a cinema you don't really have a choice anyway so <laughs> i would never say don't go watch something if that's your option is to watch it uh like stream it i feel like the ideal answer to that would be that there would be increased support for regional festivals and cinemas right. which unfortunately is you know a difficult battle i mean we just we were talking about sheffield uh, before we began recording which had this kind of big change today where I guess all its employees and the it's programming staff, I think. Yeah, it, its whole programming right? st uh, staff has been terminated because of some artistic differences between the head and the, I guess, executives behind the festival. And it's really, you know, throws into relief, I think, the challenges faced by all festivals probably at this moment, but particularly by regional festivals who have to like balance, I, I imagine from a curation point of view, the desire to bring like kind of rare, rarely seen or difficult or, you know, bold and audacious work to their audiences while still sort of competing with all the other stuff that people in these smaller centers of the world can now, you know, all the other kinds of art and entertainment they have at their fingertips, which is not always necessarily well curated or even curated. So, 
you know, that was pretty depressing to see today. I do wonder about the character of these becomes less defined for these smaller festivals as they move online or as they have sort of temporarily kind of gone hybrid. Has that been something that you've noted? Since cinema or festivals have been back, I've only gone to one smaller thing, and that was Fid Marseille. Um, and that seemed to be very well attended. It, I think it was helped by the fact that it was right after Cannes, like literally like two days after it started. So a bunch of people from Cannes just went over there. It's two hours away by train. And that's the reason I went. But yeah, it was a super wonderful experience. I, I feel like it was extremely well attended and they didn't have a virtual component. It had a very strong program this year too, because I think because of some changes in at Locarno and some things in the fall festival landscape, they were able to actually get some exciting films that they might normally not be able to secure that might've gone to uh, Locarno when it had a section for like more experimental cinema, which they didn't have this year. So I think it lucked, Fid Marseille lucked out as far as like having access to different films by like Ben Russell and Ted Fent and people like that. Let's get into that. Let's hear what films you, you liked. And maybe we could talk a little bit more about some specific festivals and some, some, some specific highlights from those festivals. Sure. The two top prize winners were a Japanese movie called Haruhara-san's Recorder. The filmmaker's name is Kiyoshi Sugita. I think he's made like five or six movies, but this is the first one I've seen. And clearly going to be his most well-traveled film. It's already going to be playing at the New York Film Festival in Currents. And yeah, it's really lovely, uh, like kind of mysterious, minimal film uh, that follows a young woman who moves into a new apartment and gets a job at a cafe. And she's an artist and she just discovers a recorder, like a little flute instrument in her, in her house that belonged to the prior resident. And it just becomes kind of a symbolic object. She kind of plays it and she just kind of goes about her life just living, rehearsing a script she's working on and uh, going to art museums and stuff like that. Um, but the film's kind of like structured as like in a poetic way, it's based on a poem and it really does away with like a traditional kind of like dramatic plot devices. It's just kind of like a movie about watching this, this woman uh, kind of live and communicate with people. So it's, it's not like a narrative driven movie in a conventional way, but it's really like uh, well-observed and like poetic in its own way. And yeah, really beautiful. And yeah, won the top prize and will be in Currents. Uh, and the second film or the second prize, a jury prize was awarded to Ted Fent, whose new film is called Outside Noise, which is also playing in Currents. And Ted, I know I'm, I'm excited yeah, about all that of us. One. I'm sure have seen his other films. He is actually is from Philadelphia, but now is living in Germany. And this is his first film made in Europe. It's set between Vienna and Berlin, and it's like his most <laughs> stripped down, minimal movie yet. And he already didn't make very overly, <laughs> uh, you know, dra dramatic movies before. So this is like a 60 minute movie, 61 minutes. Follows a group of girls who like traveling back and forth between Berlin and Vienna and just like going about their lives or in their early thirties and just kind of like a couple of them are in school. Some, one of them doesn't have a job. They're just kind of like living and talking in that quasi philosophical way that Ted Fence characters talk to each other and, but shot in like a super, like in the kind of modernist style that he always shoots in. It's sort of like a Strobe film and a Angela Shanelak like these seem like very big reference mm -hmm. points for him, especially Shanelak, I think this time out being in Berlin, I think they, uh, or he's been influenced by her work, I think lately. And I think it shows, I believe, uh, David, you saw that one, no? Yeah, I did in the lead up 
you know, to the New York Film Festival, just catching up on some of the films I'm looking forward to. And yeah, I I was just, I was surprised by it, kind of. I think partly because it's set in Berlin and Vienna. The dialogue is in German. The characters are Austrian and German. It has such a New York vibe, though. <laughs> I don't know. There's something like, I think maybe what you said about the way they talk being casually inflected philosophically. Some There's something like they're on the precipice between artifice and this casual realism that just feels very New York indie to me. And, you know, the film opens in New York because one of the lead characters, Daniela, is vacationing there. And then it just shifts to Vienna and Berlin. Like, the differences are not clearly marked. And I often couldn't actually, you know, until a character mentioned it, obviously I'm not super familiar with, I mean, I've never been to Vienna. I don't know uh, Berlin that well, but I felt like you couldn't always place them, like which metropolis they were in. And yeah, I just, I just found that really interesting. Somehow, like you mentioned Shanelek and there's obviously a severeness to Shanelek that's not there here. So that's what, that's what I felt like there was this American kind of what I think of as this like latent sentimentalism, you know, it's not sentimental, but there's always this sense of, you know, young people kind of living these warm lives. I don't know, lives that seem very alive with idealism in a way, even when they're talking about like not being able to find jobs and, you know, and I thought that that there's one scene when there's these three women by a river playing with a pendulum and that to me was the scene that was most sort of philosophical even though it played out so casually these three women talking about how this pendulum is sometimes used as trauma therapy or a way to access your subconscious it was very beautiful but it is twee and kind of cute I guess you know in a way that almost there was an it, it was jarring in an interesting way to see that play out in German language against these European settings uh, for me. The least cute language. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> I don't know. The way she like, uh, or way he deals with uh, space and time, though, is interesting. Like you were saying, it's hard to kind of figure out where you are exactly geographically. I wasn't sure. I watched the film a second time and kind of figured out when they were moving between countries because it's never, you know, marked in any like temporal way. And then like the spaces that they're navigating and even some of the relationships between the characters are hard to figure out sometimes. Like, are they friends? They seem like they're enemies sometimes. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just uh, the way he like structures and edits his films, they have this kind of like elliptical quality like they're very dense even though they're only like an hour long like his last film classical period was like super super dense and not not very long but like was just like seemed to be quoting all these esoteric sources and things like that yeah this one is a little bit looser maybe than that film and very but it's very funny and uh i mean he ted has a cameo in it and it's like an incredible cameo it's just as himself i don't know he plays a guy named ted it was just like drinking beer at a party and it's super funny it's like and it's so funny because yeah, he plays himself as this annoying kind of clingy guy yeah. who just joins this little group of women and starts just bombarding them with recommendations for what to yeah. do in Vienna, even though he's this American <laughs> yeah. in Vienna. And one or two of them, I think, are, you know, live in Vienna. And 
they just leave one by one, you know, making excuses that I mean, we all know from being in such situations at parties, you know, like I have to go to the bathroom. I have to- yeah, the girl he's left with is like, I'm leaving tomorrow. It's, you don't need to give me any more recommendation. He's like, well, you can go here. You can do this. You can do this. She's like, I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> so it's, I don't know, it's very well written and well done. I know he he worked on the film or the characters with the actresses. So I think it's, it's co-written by mm-hmm. two of the actresses and him. So I think it was more collaborative in that way this time. I don't know if that had to do with the language, uh, although I know he speaks German and stuff now. And I think French too, he introduced the film beforehand. Well, he's the translator of the collected works of Straub and Wier, right? Exactly, yes. So yeah, he does subtitles for other German and French films too, I think. So mm-hmm. uh, obviously very well versed in these uh, cinemas. I thought that there was like a slightly retro vibe to it as well. I mean, it's shot on 16 millimeter, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, that already, you know, in today's world, lends a kind of uh, old fashioned veneer to to things. But I realized that we, I mean, we see the characters sometimes on laptops, but otherwise it's this portrait of young people that really doesn't, feature much technology at all. I don't know. I thought that was really interesting and actually reminded me of the Zercher Brothers film, uh, The Girl and the Spider. Not to like make a whole detour into that, but you know, I was just thinking like these films about young people in Vienna and I think we had Erica Balsam on our Berlinale pod talking about that film and she had pointed out the same thing that you don't really see technology in that film that you know, something I hadn't noticed, but it still feels very contemporary. Like it feels like it's a film about how young people relate to each other and interact and communicate with each other today in, you know, a much more mediated world. Yeah, this film seemed not that, you know, it felt like it was from another time, even though they have this kind of maybe a similar milieu. I love The Girl and the Spider, and I think both of these films, you know, make would make a really fun double feature for anyone coming to NYFF. We could pair it with like a Thomas Bernhard reading or something. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. So this was Fid Marseille, right? And you guys were also talking about Arsenal, correct? Speaking of German. Speaking of Berlin. (laughs) Sorry, bad transition, but that's kind of my specialty. (laughs) You know, I'm always like following what Arsenal in Berlin is doing. You know, they obviously present the forum section at the Berlinale and then also just do great restoration work. And they're doing this archive film festival called archival assembly number one i assume that it's the first of many to come in the first week of september and it's an in-person event but they're putting part of the program online i believe until september 15th it's 11 euros there's no geo-blocking and i think you have like access to everything online so it's like very much 
uh, accessible. Yeah, a great deal. And a lot of those films are world premieres of restorations and sort of films from all over the world. So I, I've started digging into those, some of the screeners. You know, I'll be definitely be catching up when the whole festival is online. And I, I, I want to shout out a few selections, but Jordan, I know you and Clint, you both watched one of the films in that lineup, right? The uh, Fury is a Feeling to the uh, Cynthia Biat. 1983 short, right? Is that correct? Or, and you also saw that one, right? Yeah. I think the restoration world premiered in, at Berlin this year, the Berlin Film Festival virtually. That's where I saw it, but is now screening in this program. But it's Berlin film. It's shot mm-hmm. around where actually the festival takes place, Potsdamer Platz. It's an interesting film uh, in many ways, but it is like a time capsule of this period before the wall was torn down. But also it stars Heinz Emmergoltz, the the great uh, wait it does i didn't yeah. know this i would have i would have like put it on top of my list if i did that's fun it, it should be yes so he he acts in the movie he's a, a fantastic filmmaker made a movie me and david could both like last year called uh, the last city the last city yes wonderful like architecture filmmaker who's transitioned back into making like strange narrative films this film is actually sort of similar to like the films he ended up making but Cynthia Biat is I guess born in like Jamaica but was raised in England and then lived in Berlin at this time Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like a reflection on being a outsider in in a strange place so the film is kind of like part essay film architecture film with lots of like really kind of dreamy images of like the post-war Berlin architecture interspersed with like these vignettes where her and Emma Goltz kind of act out these weird like cliched or archetype mm-hmm. characters uh where like uh emma Gold's plays like a bartender or a like an angry uh local and cynthia is like the outsider right it's very funny and very like but in, the, in that strange kind of like almost like a ted fenter's job film where the characters are kind of talking in a semi i don't know stagey or artificial manner uh so it's kind of made in that modernist style as well that's very and there's this uh discordant hyper modernist like classical soundtrack kind of right. buzzing in the background the whole time emma Goltz plays he's the the lead i guess right there's these two yeah <laughs> not, i didn't know uh, that's funny that's really interesting yeah he, i mean like uh, in his 20s at that point of course yeah now he's like in his mid-60s i think yeah. but yeah it's so funny to see him then he was like very tall and lanky and uh but t- but he has this like really thick baritone voice which yeah it's just interesting he kind of i don't know how if if she wrote the script or if they worked on it together but some of the ways and ideas that he's expressing i feel like stuff he ran with in his uh films after that because like the the guy john erdman who plays emma goltz in the new films he's making talks and like uh sort of like him in the same language and the Mm -hmm. same kind of syntax so i feel like there's this weird connection between him as an actor back in the eighties and like the guy who's playing him now. And like, yeah, there's a, huh. it's very strange. So if you've seen his films and especially the newer ones, I think you'll just get like a kick out of watching him at that, at that time, do, do a similar thing, just but was directed by somebody else. Yeah. Oh. And it's, yeah, it's, it opens with this kind of, kind of brief conversation meditation on impossibility of translation. And like the German language is sort of this impenetrable uh, wall for the woman, I think, who's who's trying to figure out how to talk about the mind, and uh, there's no direct translation from English from the English word mind for. But yeah, that's a, that's a great connection, and also this, the architectural elements I think are really important here too, right? 
Yeah, definitely. It's really like, it could just be, I thought that's what it might've been when I first started watching it. There's this mm -hmm. beautiful, just like long montages of like buildings and, and crumbling like and talking about like the, the loss of culture and right. From exactly. It's about, it's about Berlin being rebuilt and uh, yeah. I don't know. There's not a ton of films, I guess, or that I've seen of that era shot uh, in that part of Berlin. So it's very, yeah, it's just like an interesting uh, time capsule. Where, and where I don't know what the woman Did you say uh, that? Potsdamer Platz. Yeah, around Potsdamer Platz okay. where the festival is. So it's kind of a, not that I know the city enough to like point out all the landmarks, but it, it's definitely got a ton of, a uh, ton of different like styles and different uh, eras of architecture represented. Devika, I know that you saw some other great stuff in this yes. lineup. I ended up seeing, well, three films that somehow were all thematically sort of similar, capturing like women's voices and the way, and women's worlds, you know, the these like closed sort of sororal worlds that uh, women have where resistance can take, you know, different forms than what we think of. And the first two are by this Indian feminist documentary collective that was active for a few years in the 80s that I've sort of become obsessed with ever since Arsenal started restoring their works because they were sort of like basically lost for a long time because this collective was just these, you know, five people. Some of them are still active as filmmakers, especially one Deepa Dhanraj who has continued to be an active documentarian. But, you know, when they were making movies... They were just doing that as part of a larger political movement. So they weren't like trying to be careerist filmmakers. They were going around documenting stories of labor resistance among women workers in various parts of India, often rural parts of India, and making these short films that for them were meant to be like manuals or modes of transmission. So they would make the films and then go around the country showing them in other parts. And one of the films, which is called Tobacco Embers, is a portrait of a strike done in the 80s by the workers at a tobacco factory in this small village in South India, where these women just, you know, got together and did a sit-in and did a strike for better working conditions and a really small increase in wages. I mean, if you think back to, like, everything they had to do to get paid, like, you know, a few cents more. Uh, but these filmmakers went and lived with them for four months and created this film that's so weird and experimental and at the same time didactic, but didactic in the sense that it is very clearly meant as a tool, you know, not didactic in any sense that makes it dull or closed, but in that this film is really trying to speak to its audiences. And it's kind of a mix of reenactments and fictional scenes, and just scenes from these women's union meetings, where they're just talking about their lives, talking about organizing strategies, you know, how to get other women on board, how to get their husbands to cooperate, uh, you know, with, with their actions. And these scenes within the factory where the women talk about stuff like, you know, how they're sexually exploited by their bosses and the contractors, you know, and if, if like a contractor calls you up to his office, you can't say no, and you know what's coming. And there's this really interesting relationship between sound and image, because there's a kind of voiceover that the directors developed with the people, you know, with the actual workers, and they even, even the scenes, the reenactments were all developed with them. So, 
in a way, these women are able to use these like sort of fictional modes to, I think, voice things that maybe otherwise, you know, they might not if it was just a documentary ca- camera and they were just talking to each other. But that fictional element allows them to, you know, be a little satirical, you know, uh, poke fun at their oppressors or their their husbands, that sort of thing. And uh, I've talked a lot to that filmmaker over this last year since I discovered the films. And, you know, they're really incredible examples of co-creative filmmaking. Like she described how when they had a first cut, they rented out a local theater. There was only one theater in walking distance of the town. It was owned by a doctor. And they rented it out and they had all the women who participated, you know, they showed them the cut to get feedback. And they were just like, the you know, the women were just like, wait, is this a movie? Because they weren't familiar with the documentary form and they were just like wait this is a movie so we're we're actors we're stars so I just think it has this fascinating history that feels so alive when you watch it now it's also incredibly beautiful yeah I mean there's these scenes of them working with the tobacco at the factory and you know that like them sifting I don't know what it is like husk or something and it's shot really beautifully, even though it's not necessarily meant to be this aesthetic film. But there's a great beauty to it that I think comes from just them being very curious about the actual labor. And the other film is also by the same collective, made a few years later, and it's kind of similar, but it documents a very famous anti-deforestation movement in India that was also led by women in some northern, like, mountainous villages, where the women would, again, do these strike actions, like they would go and hug trees when uh, contractors came in with bulldozers and, you know, just say, like, you have to go through us, and they would storm offices and centers, and so... Again, this is a film in which only the women speak and it has the semi-fictional and reenacted voiceover and scenes of talking where they're complaining about their drunk husbands, you know, and how their husbands have to go find work in the cities because they're just very poor. So they have to do everything, tend the fields, do housework, take care of the children and do all of this political work that is basically making their lives really difficult because deforestation is reducing their access to wood and water and fodder. And there was one moment that was like so incredible. They're talking about how at one point they stormed this hall where, you know, a timber contractor, I guess, was supposed to come or there was a meeting or something. And they said, we all just went in And all the police saw this crowd of women and they just ran out. And then they came back with helmets and batons and grills, you know. And then they were all sent to jail. And in this voiceover, this woman says, I spent two weeks in jail and it was the happiest time of my life. I had to do no work. I didn't have to wash any dishes. I was served warm food. You know, it was just, I mean, obviously jail is not something romantic, but it kind of goes to show like, you know, what these women's daily lives are like, that even that escape from work felt, you know, fantastical. So yeah, I really recommend both these films, especially if you're interested in experimental documentary, feminist documentary, and, you know, just portraits of labor movements. Both of those films looked really fascinating. Uh, there's a lot of other great stuff in in this series as well, and or this festival as well. There's, this, there's a couple of films by uh, Hussein Sharif that I'm excited to see. Although one is sort of a kind of a panel discussion about 
that's a reconstruction of his final film of Dustin Ruby's, which was unfinished. But still, it's it's like a panel discussion that is also like a group of filmmakers coming together to kind of put this film back together. That looks really exciting. Jordan, I don't know if you had some other highlights from some smaller festivals that you wanted to point out. Any, does anything come to mind? I can kind of shout out maybe a couple other smaller festivals that maybe are worth keeping an eye on for people that eventually might be able to travel to them. Um, there's a documentary festival in Montreal called Rhythm, which I really like that I've uh, went to a couple years ago, which I think normally happens in November. So and I think they're planning on I think having it uh, in person again this year, but always uh, has a lot of really, really interesting and kind of a experimental type nonfiction work. They had a retrospective of Luke Marley uh, like a few years ago that I went and interviewed him and was very uh, excited to do that. There's one, uh, it's not really a film festival per se, but there's something called the Biennale of Moving Images, which happens every couple of years in Geneva. Uh, I went to the last one, it was in 2018, and there wasn't one last year for obvious reasons, but they're doing it this year. They recently announced uh, the program. It's in, I think it's in October, November, but it's an interesting thing because it's technically an exhibition and you can go there over a period of months, but the opening, the first weekend, it's like an opening weekend and they invite filmmakers and artists to make new, they commission new work essentially. Uh, like the year I was there, there was new stuff by James N. Keenitz Wilkins and Teddy Williams and Khalil Joseph and like they uh, fund they ask people to make films for their festival and fund it yeah so like wow. for example the James uh Wilkins film uh, this action lies which I think you know played a ton of festivals and after afterwards in New York too I think and Parsi was the Eduardo Williams film which traveled a lot as well so yeah they're they commission actual like gallery artists to make new exhibition pieces so but it's all moving image based so uh, it's very cool. It's like in this five-story museum. So it's completely taken over by these artists. So you kind of, uh, you know, if you go to the opening weekend, you kind of spend the weekend going through each floor and kind of exploring these different uh, pieces. But then in the evenings, they have screenings of the films by the actual, like, theatrical filmmakers. So it's usually, like, short works, but there were a couple of features when I was there, too. Hmm. This year, Theo Anthony's doing something, and uh, Leela Weinrob, uh, who did Shakedown. Hmm. She has a piece discussed at length on our previous podcast. Listeners, check it out. Okay, there we go. <laughs> yeah, so they they commissioned them to do brand new stuff. So it's very uh, it's very cool. So it's kind of like in between a film festival and an art exhibition. And yeah, it's definitely worth going out. in Geneva is like incredible. I love the idea of a film festival actually supporting artists in that material way. You know, I think I don't know often. It sometimes feels like obviously film festivals give platforms to artists, but they don't always treat artists that well. Well, and you have to have you have to marshal resources to even you know you have to have a lot of resources to even get in the door. Yeah, just to make the film to to put a film together. Yeah, and it's hard to like keep. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes if things are commissioned by certain organizations, you kind of like have lower your expectations. But in this case, you didn't have to do that at all. And then I know like. Jianju does the Jianju mm-hmm. Cinema Project where they always enlist filmmakers to make new work and those are always really interesting. Like, I mean, they right. did Outside Noise, right? You're right. They did, yes. So a lot of stuff is like real, like, like really great work. Yeah, they've commissioned really, really good movies over the last like 10 years. So those are, and that's another regional smaller festival that is like, I've heard nothing but amazing things about. So one day, if a, if a programmer's listening, you can 
you can email me. <laughs> yes, plug plug everything you yeah. you want to. <laughs> yeah. We also thought it might be kind of interesting because we didn't get to really do any podcasts about it, but it might be good to if you could maybe walk us through your Locarno highlights as well. I know that you your dispatch you had quite a few uh some wild entries in the in that dispatch. Entries, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well I focused kind of on the, the genre films because that was the thing everyone was talking about this year because the festival has a new genre leaning direction. So I have to say it was quite the flex too that all, that you watched all thirty two all thirty two films. I think <laughs> we were both. I watched more than <laughs> more than that too, uh, but that's not because. Uh, I mean, I do this thing called the Carno in Los Angeles, so I try and watch as many mm. as I can, so I have a good idea of the program. So I'm not just like, right. oh, I'm just going to pick the 10, ten filmmakers I know about. So yeah, I try and watch as much as possible. But I feel like even when I run into you in Berlin, you just seem to have this incredible stamina and complete and this like <laughs> completionist drive to like watch all competition titles. I do. <laughs> I was just yeah, I was just thinking about that. I've watched the competitions at every major festival this year, which yeah, that's one thing. Virtual festivals is like a it's possible now. Right. Which I don't recommend it, but I'm like, what if I could do that for a whole year? Well, it will, will not happen. For Venice, but uh, that's why we bring you on, yeah, because yeah. we know <laughs> you're the, you've done the whole doing it for us. You're yeah. sacrificing, <laughs> sacrificing your mental health. Yeah, exactly. So, but anyway, yeah. So I, there were 32 films, I guess, between the two major competitions. But actually, two that I can point out that weren't in either. They were actually in the out of competition section, which had a lot of good stuff this year. Actually, two essay films. One is called Rampart. It's a essay film by a filmmaker who's using like old super eight and home video footage shot in his childhood. And it's uh, interspersed with some new footage of him walking around. I uh, can't remember the city, but walking around like this ruinous building. And it's just kind of a reflection on his childhood and growing up. And it's really beautiful uh, with like landscape footage and inner titles. It's really well done. I think the filmmaker's name is Marco Griba Singh. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. that's it. So yeah, that was really lovely. And there's another movie called uh, From the Planet of the Humans, which is an essay film kind of jumping off from this science experiments done in the, the mid-century on uh, on monkeys, monkey testicles. And it's very, ah, it uses planet this- Planet of the Humans, I get it. I yes, get it exactly. <laughs> but it uses this kind of like strange conceit to dive into like, history and the filmmaker's own pers personal life. And it's very, it uses a bunch of different formats. Okay, this is not Michael Moore, right? Because I just Googled it and there's a Michael Moore Presents Planet of the Humans. <laughs> no, it's called uh, From the Planet of the Humans. Yeah, ah. but it might be hard to find info on it. There was like no, uh, I don't know what the, the like original language title is. It's very long. Um, but yeah, it uses like old footage from old films from like King Kong and other like mm. uh, sci-fi type movies and genre films uh yeah really well done really beautiful we'll track it down and put it in the show notes for sure yeah giovanni chioni maybe is the director's name i just yeah i think that's correct yes and yeah so those were two that stood out one that i liked a lot that i know was written about by jessica and the other lacarna dispatch for you guys is called sacred spirit which is one of my favorites right. at the festival which is very strange and humorous but also very kind of disturbing uh film about a small community of conspiracy theorists but yeah, all shot on 16 and like really, really beautiful and like has all these sci-fi elements in it. And the uh, Golden Leopard winner, of course, sounded really excellent too. We heard multiple people recommend that. 
Vengeance is all mine, but... Everybody else pays cash. All others pay cash. Yeah, all others pay cash. Yeah, a very good movie included in my dispatch for people who want to check that out. But like, it's a surprising movie for me just because it is. it was one of the movies that kind of took the new direction that the festival wants to go in and like did something interesting with it. Like if this is the genre of direction for the festival, that's, it's a good thing, but it's also very, it's a crowd pleaser. It's very funny. And it like the main character is like impotent and he is fighting everyone around him because he is sexually frustrated, <laughs> but still gets the girl. They get in a huge fight at the beginning of the movie. That's very funny. But yeah, all those practical effects are used and it's yeah, really well done. And yeah, just and I'm, yeah, the kind of movie it is, and from Indonesia, it's just like an atypical winner. I think of a top prize at any at any festival. But yeah, Locarno has been awarding kind of like big auteur cinema the last few years, so this is a switch. Vitalina Novarella was last year's right winner, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and Wang Bing before Wang that, Bing. and there was oh. uh, Albert Serra and Lab Diaz, and yeah, it's like the, the heavy hitters every year. Yeah, the All Star <laughs> team. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks so much, Jordan. I think we'll wrap it up there on that note on the Golden Leopard. We'll ride the Golden Leopard into the sunset. Yeah, we got through a ton of movies and festivals, some of which I hadn't heard of. So thank you for putting them on our radar. And uh, send us dispatches from there, you know. (laughs) I will. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, guys, for having me on. It was fun. The Film Comment podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.